Um, yeah. Hi, everyone. Sorry for being late. Um, I guess maybe I have the three images from this. So maybe we can pull up. Oh, that's all? You have the three pages? Okay. Uh, you know, the benefit of having something written in a magazine is that you can always read what you've written. And you're probably more articulate when you've thought it out than when you just arrived. Um, I, maybe I'll talk a little bit. First of all, I'll just say thanks to Leopold for inviting me. Um, I have known Leopold for a couple of years. I was one of those fans from a distance, you know, being like, long-time reader, first-time caller, um, where I, one summer day in Montreal, Canada, I decided to write a little fan email to Leopold, and I was like, hey, I love your work. Um, you know, I loved your book, Weaponized Architecture, and you're really cool. Thanks, bye. And so it happens that Leopold responds and says, oh, I'm in Montreal, like, tomorrow. Do you want to meet? And we met and have been friends and have collaborated and he's invited me to participate in the magazine and podcasts and, and written about some of the work I've done. So it's been lovely. And we, again, maybe similarly to how we first met a couple of years ago, was that, I was like, are you in Hong Kong? I was like, are you in Hong Kong? It's like, yeah, I'm doing an event on Thursday. I'm doing an event on Thursday too. <laughs> anyway, so it happens. It's the story of our lives and I hope we have these random encounters in various parts of the world. And so I guess I'll talk a little bit about the piece I was able to contribute uh, with the collaborator Sarah Turnbull in, I guess, issue, how many issues ago? Issue four uh, on carceral geographies. Um, so Sarah Turnbull is an academic and at, for a while was uh, based in Oxford, but now is just in London. I don't remember her new um, institution. Uh, so she does a lot of work with immigration detainees in the UK. And for me, um, I've been organizing uh, with uh, immigration detainees in the Canadian context for the last several years, um, uh, working in movements um, including um, known as illegal in Toronto. And so what we do um, is uh, uh, fight for um, against detentions and deportations of people who are undocumented or who have precarious immigration status. Uh, we also uh, work around services for um, basic services for uh, people who are precarious status, who are undocumented, um, and then work to build relationships between migrant communities and indigenous communities, uh, talking about shared um, struggles uh, against capitalism, against colonialism, against the forces of displacement that produce, um, you know, migrants in the first place. And so her and I um, were able to. Uh, work on a piece, and it was definitely very experimental. Uh, she's coming from an academic context and coming from an activist context, but she has access to a lot of spaces and detainees in a way that a lot of activists don't um, because she has that, you know, the academic hat on. And so we're trying to figure out how we can use some of those experiences um, and stories and translate them into a, a visual form um, of what you see behind us. And so what, you, what I'm going to share here, it's just a few pages. Um, is the experiences in immigration detention, particularly three detention centers, three out of the nine detention centers in the UK. In Canada, as with the UK, immigration detention is indefinite, which means that people are jailed on administrative grounds, because this is not criminal law, um, indefinitely. So they're held without charges or without trial, as you might see in the criminal system, uh, for the processes of being deported. 
and um, many people can't be deported for various reasons um, and that's where the indefinite nature comes in. So some of the people I've been organizing with, some comrades, have been in detention for many years because, for instance, the con- uh, Canada can't uh, get travel documents from their country of origin. A lot of people arrive when they're very young um, and they don't have uh, any connection back to the place. The, the country of origin doesn't even recognize them as being from there. Um, and so people can't be deported. Some people are refugees. So if you've gone refugee status, you can't be deported back to a place where you're facing persecution. And among various reasons why people get trapped into the system of detention. And so I come from an architecture background, and some of the work that I've been doing is trying to visualize these spaces that undocumented people are being locked up in, but also the spaces themselves are undocumented in the sense that we can't visit them, there's no photos, there's no drawings, it's really hard to access. So, and that's intentional and that's part of the system. Um, so maybe I, if it's okay, I can just read it. I mean, everyone likes comics, right? So it's okay, I'll just read. Um, when you are inducted into a detention center, your belongings are surgically sorted into piles. Prohibited. Prohibited things are sealed in envelopes until release. Appropriate. They made derisive comments based on her race and gender. Her clothing, her medication, displayed across the table. Her name was Ming, and of course we've anonymized the names, uh, coming from China. Arrival date, unknown. Prison sentence, unknown. Detention length, unknown. Date of release, unknown. And because of her lack of appropriate clothing, they gave her an emergency clothes pack and three forms to review and sign. Many people are sent directly to immigration detention after completing their prison sentences, bringing their possessions with them. Unlike prison, there is no charge or trial, nor sentence. People are held indefinitely. Owning things is complicated in a place like this that is not your home. But in order to survive, somehow, is a kind of resistance. I quote, My day-to-day is the same. I'm in a maze. I feel like a rat. This is a big business, but people don't seem to know that. Like, work, work, meditate, gym, and just communicate with people. Because if I didn't, I would have just gone mad a long time ago, man. I would have lost the plot. This is from Antoine, 35, from the Gambia. Arrived in the UK in 1992. Prison sentence, four years. Detention length, 12 months. Date of release, unknown. These are his most prized possessions. This is a PS3. To stay in touch with people, a phone, and to take his mind off of detention, the godfather. I also like to just note that in in detention centers around the world, it's very different. Like, for instance, in Canada, people don't have personal possessions like this, where you can have a PS3 or a phone or access to internet. Regardless of what the, you know, let's say the subtle differences of what one can own, that is not really the purpose I think of the conversation in revealing these spaces is talking about why people are in detention in the first place, not whether or not a detainee should have access to PS3. Some people just want to survive, finding some kind of peace in the everyday. And I quote, because I've been in prison for a long time, like from a young age as well, I'm just pretty used to being by myself. I can just sit down, switch off, just chill out. You know what I mean? This is from Michael, 23, from Rwanda. Arrived in the UK in 1999 with his parents. Prison sentence, five years, eight months. Detention length, three months. Date of release, unknown. 
And I quote, some people just get high, some people just stay in their rooms, some people go nuts. I'm cool man, I'm headstrong. Some people refuse to make a home out of a place like this. Arthur, 25, from the Congo, arrived in the UK in 1999. Prison sentence, two years. Detention length, 32 months. Date of release, unknown. And I quote, just, I'm just, it's just like prison, because they take your freedom from you. But obviously, you have the privilege of a mobile phone. But a, nothing is like freedom, isn't it? Freedom is freedom. I just hope they know who they're creating or what they're doing. You know, we human, isn't it? Obviously. I have my children's pictures, but I don't use it no more. I used to look at it. Right now, I don't depend on nothing. It's only when they close your door you start thinking. I hope they know who they're creating and what they're doing. When people are released or deported or die, many things get left behind. Knowledge, artwork, things. An absence presence, an absence presence. Musa showed other detainees how to make elaborately folded paper swans. He was taught by a Chinese detainee at a different center, who is probably long gone now. He made it look easy. Musa, uh, country of origin, unknown. Guinea or Conakry. Other detainee says he's from the Ivory Coast. Prison sentence, unknown. Detention center, more than two years. And date of release, unknown. He carried around a plastic bag of paper bits, passed hours cutting, folding, and gluing these paper bits. When, came, when comes their time, some of these swans, some take their swans and others don't. Objects bear witness to lives lived, becoming ghosts that still haunt. And so that's the um, excerpt in the fourth issue of the Funambulist. Um, and of course, I think there'll be conversation after Sonia's presentation if people have questions, and I'd love to talk to you more about it. Um, I think one of the things in this process of doing um, was an interesting collaboration. Uh, basically, she had field notes she gave me. Uh, I kind of tried to think about how some of this could be visual translated. We didn't have any photos of the people or the places, so it was a bit of a reconstruction, um, informed by the experiences of people. Um, so there is a little bit of that like reverse kind of construction based on uh, some images I could find, some images that she was able to take inside and then you know imagine what that detention center might look like um, and I think also what's important with this piece and the, some of the stories we highlighted in the selection is that many of the people um, do have prison sentences and many people have you know done time and and as with a lot of people I've worked with and that's to kind of recognize that um, not to fall into the narrative of good immigrant versus bad criminal um, or that there are deserving immigrants and non-deserving immigrants, the people who come in contact with the law. Because when we think about who is it that gets criminalized um, and who is it that come in contact with law who do jail time is not a coincidence. Um, four out of the five stories we heard here are from men from Africa. They're black men who are being profiled uh, often and criminalized so that there is um, a commonality and sometimes the movements between doing work around criminal justice and prison justice and immigration don't speak to each other enough um, to talk about how the respective communities are the same that are being targeted by police and state violence. Um, and, so, and so I think it was really important to highlight that there are a lot of people with complicated histories with the law um, 
But what happens is a system of double punishment, whereby if someone has served their time under the criminal, let's call it injustice system, uh, then they will be subsequently uh, put into another facility uh, to be deported, uh, where they are not being charged of anything. So it's a kind of double punishment and perhaps triple punishment when they are deported. Um, and uh, deported to circumstances uh, of sometimes extreme poverty, sometimes to their deaths as well. Um, so that's what I really want to share today. Um, if you